you can think of a time where you've been a help to someone, real, present, tangible, practical help, whatever it may be, whatever situation, family member, friend, neighbor, stranger. Maybe you can think in the same turn of uh, a time you've been helped in a practical, tangible way by someone in your in your life or kind of maybe a random uh, relationship or person that, that you've been helped. Just think of this idea of what helping is. It's probably a familiar experience in our lives, maybe even this past week. Maybe you can think of a very recent example of, of being helped or helping someone. And two things factor into any situation where help is offered. Two things factor into that, like the severity of the need the severity of the need and then the urgency of the need determine what type of help and maybe when the help is going to occur. Like if, if, if Will is drowning in the James River, that's immediate, severe, urgent, a need for someone to help that situation. Whereas if Jaden, my youngest daughter, asks for help with her math homework, you know, I may say after I'm done watching football, we'll get to it, and this this may lead to her, this might lead to her getting a better grade. Keyword is might if she receives my help. But there's different situations, different levels of severity with the need for for help. But the fact is, all of us, everyone needs help at some point in life, and these these situations vary and, and are, are common. But do we? I think it's, it's proper to frame as we get into looking at God's word, God, God's word has specific answers to the questions in life. And so a question for us to consider as we see what his very word says to us is do we as the church, as a specific local body in this time and place, Jonathan has just mapped out for us, like we're here for a reason and a purpose even this morning. Do we help others? And then how do we remain as, as maybe individual people, individuals that claim to follow Christ, how do we remain in a posture of offering help to one another, of offering help to those outside the family of God, those who are in need? So this is the heart, having that posture of wanting to be a helper. That's the heart of generosity. That's the heart of generosity. So as helpers, we are to exemplify generosity. We want to give. Um, we know we can't outgive God, what he has given to us, but in terms of the outworking of what we've been given, we want to strive to give more than we get. Have that posture. So we're continuing our study this new year, um, kind of a, a series, if you will, of the spiritual discipline of giving, and the focus this morning is going to be generosity. So this type of series, it, it's, it's different from what we typically do the typical rhythm of expositing, walking through books of the Bible, but it gives us a chance, gives us a chance to address, access some parts of scripture that may not have been coming up in the schedule in the life of our church and in uh, future future days. Um, and we get to address some of these truths, how the Bible speaks into, in this case, generosity in a systematic way. Maybe see, let the whole entirety of scripture speak into that. We're not going to cover the, the, the every part of the Bible that speaks to generosity, but we'll go to a place and we'll move a little bit to see how does the Bible inform us about who we are and what we're supposed to, to be and do as far as a, a generous people, a helping people. 
So Jonathan last week introduced this series for us. Um, we looked at, uh, he preached on stewardship. So if you can remember, and this was, is going to relate to uh, our, our look at generosity this morning, stewardship, the management of God's resources for his glory. So we saw how Jesus taught frequently about money, um, for, for example, and along with everything else, money, along with everything else we have, it belongs to God, is a gift from God. So we want to talk about it. We want to evaluate what God has given and, and, and how we manage it. So it is important and that's what we're going to consider this morning um, so as we look if you want to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to the book of exodus this morning and we will set this up we will look at the historical context but we are going to address just a simple maybe familiar short part of scripture it's a part of the ten commandments the ten words god gave to his people the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. So we'll look at Exodus 20, 15. Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal. So pray with me. God, your word, it is your very word. The words of life, every part of it, every word. So we pray that it would pierce our souls this morning, stir our hearts, by the integrity, the power, and the truth of your word to bring us into conformity with Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would do that through the power of your spirit alone. In Jesus' name, amen. So if there's a title to the message, generosity. Generosity, so the question, what is faithfulness to Christ? What is faithfulness to Christ concerning what does it look like concerning the giving of our financial resources, our time and skills? So we're going to kind of lump those together. There will be an emphasis on the giving, being generous, being faithful with the use of our financial resources. But we also want to uh, acknowledge and understand it is also talking about everything, everything that we are, everything that we have to give, everything that we have to be generous with. And that does include our time. It does include how God has, has blessed us, gifted us, given us talents and passions, all of our skill set. So how do we be faithful? What does it look like? So we must consider that we must, as God's people, be a vehicle, be an instrument. We know we're not the source of it, but we are to be an instrument of abundant blessing to others. We must be that. We are that. So is there, the, is there a requirement specifically for God's people, um, for all of God's people to give? Is there a requirement there? And if so, is there a specific amount? And we can look at time, re, uh, financial resources, skills. Is there a sp specific amount prescribed in the Bible? We'll, we'll touch that today. We'll kind of scratch the surface of maybe looking at that this morning. But as we want to address the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. Let's set it up by looking back at Exodus 19 and see where the people had come from, where they were, what they were doing when they received this word from God, because it speaks to why he gave it to them. So if you want to look back, Exodus 19, starting in verse one, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. 
their Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God's going to call his people. We'll see he calls his people and he's going to confirm. The people will confirm this call by their hearing and their their response to his word. So there's going to be a call. There's going to be a confirmation of that call. And then there's going to be a commitment that follows through with the confirmation, with the call. A commitment. So this call comes to the people. They're about seven weeks after the exodus, seven weeks after being brought out of Egyptian slavery. And this proposal, this, this covenant made by God, it's going to give Israel a specific position. It's going to give them an exalted position among the nations. So in view of like their acceptance of God's righteous standards, he sets up, he's going to give them, these are my righteous ways. These are my ways. This is the truth of how you are to live in the world. It's going to give them this exalted position among all the peoples in the earth. So if they agree, if they agree to these standards, agree to these righteous ways, if they do heed the call, they have to obey God exclusively. And if they do this, these these newly released slaves, they're going to receive status as, remember what God said the people will be. They'll be priestly royals, priestly royals. He promises they'll have access to his presence. He will be present with him, with his people. He will relate to them as priests. And they're going to rule over his creatures as his viceroys or his representatives. This is the call. This is what he desires for his people to be, his representatives ruling and relating to him as priests, having this relationship with his people. So God redeemed Israel. He brought them out of slavery, brought them into this position and place of freedom so that they might be in touch with him, so that they might have relationship with him and be separated to him compared to among all the peoples of the earth. So God is calling them to be faithful. He calls his people in this instance to be faithful. He calls them to follow his ways, to follow him. And so this faithful following, the faithful following is going to be the outworking of this precious personal relationship that he's offering to his people. The outworking of the precious personal relationship that he offers to the people that he has set free is that they follow in faithfulness, that they follow in obedience to his ways to his righteous standards. So the Lord's call to faithfulness is also how the world will know who he is and what he is like. So the people think of what they gain. They get to experience the precious relationship with a personal, imminent God. But then also the world benefits or the world is blessed as they live in covenant faithfulness with him because they get to know who the true God is and what he's like. So this is a high calling. This is a very specific calling. Now we see and we know as new covenant people, as people that live in light of the coming, the incarnation of our king, the coming of King Jesus in the flesh 
to live the perfect life, to perfectly obey God's will and ways, and then to shed his blood, his pure, perfect blood on the cross for the sins of all men who would place their faith in him so that we can be set free from the bondage of slavery to sin. And through his resurrection, we have that eternal hope that we will be with him and like him in the future uh, in terms of being with him for all eternity. So in, as new covenant believers, who are we? What are we called to? Well, Peter gives us insight. The apostle Peter, he writes to the church in the first century, and he writes this, 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So God, in the same way, he calls us to faithfulness, to bless, to be set apart. We're called not to add on to the burdens of others, but we're called to be burden lifters, helpers, a blessing. So what does this call look like? What does faithfulness look like concerning everything about our lives, which make up primarily our finances, our time, and our skills? It really does involve all three. You can't like sub out one for the other and say, well, God, you know, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to give of my time in like a really abundant way. I'm going to be all about like serving uh, the hungry and, and maybe really get into serving with, with a local church. Like you get all my time, but all my money is mine. And all my money goes to just what I want it to. Or like my, 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 my equation would be I serve so much that I really don't need to think through. I need to be kind of cavalier or thoughtless with my financial stewardship or my financial generosity. There's no subbing out. Understanding God from the beginning with his people, he's always addressing their heart. He's not saying follow these rules and ways and then there's some magic that happens that you're faithful. He's saying you have to understand I am God and my ways are for you and, and, and you living in faithfulness to me is about your heart being mine belonging to me. This is a heart issue. So we can't sub out. We have to understand everything about our lives, money, time, skills, they're all for the Lord. So this call is going to be confirmed. The call to faithfulness is going to be confirmed as he spells out for them what faithfulness looks like in the 10 commandments. So back to the eighth commandment, back to you shall not steal. Exodus 20:15. So what are God's people to obey? What are they supposed to be faithful to? What is going to be the basis of God's covenant with them? So the 10 words, the Decalogue that gives his people, he gives his people there at Mount Sinai. There's still the 10 words that he wants us to follow. It still does reflect many, uh, much about God. Our purposes today, we're going to focus on you shall not steal. The eighth commandment. So God's call to his people is going to be confirmed. They would show they believe and agree by obedience to the law. They're going to show faithfulness. They're going to show uh, agreement with who he is and what he desires for them by obedience. So the eighth commandment instructs God's people to not steal. Well, what is that? That's not taking by force or, or, or wrongfully taking something that's not yours not taking the property of another in any wrong or deceptive way, anything that's not rightfully ours. 
So in the Ten Commandments as a whole, there's like a lot of negativity in there. If you look through it, the whole list, there's like 12 negatives. There's 12 do nots and, and one no in there. So one preacher and scholar, he puts it, negativity can be very positive for your spiritual health. So we see that can be a thing where we look and say, that's, that's a lot of negativity. God's being just really uh, uh, buckling down or putting a burden on us with all these things we can't do. But it is good for us to think how this negativity guards us from pursuing or doing things that will be destructive. Obviously, and real simply, yeah, going around taking what's not ours by force or wrongfully or in a deceptive way is going to be destructive for our lives. We will be in trouble on many different levels in the same way many others would. So God guards us from doing things that are harmful. And he uses this clear and simple language. What a great God. What a magnificent God that he, he does it real simply for us as, as parents or anybody who maybe works for, has had time kind of caring for young kids, simple and clear language is easy. We're not going to sit down, I'm not going to sit down with three-year-old Karis and say, let me explain the physics and the physiology of how if you grab that wooden block and bash your little baby sister's head, that that would cause harm to her. No, I'm going to say, don't do that, Karis. Don't take the block. Don't hit your sister's head with it. So this simple language, this simple, straightforward statements alert us to danger. And as spiritual children, we grow to understand the drastic ramifications of our wrongdoing in so many ways. So the positive of this negative is that God himself, he loves us. He wants our lives to be lived before him and unto him to be an amazing expression of his kindness to us. So he wants to keep us safe and he wants to keep other people safe as well. So how does this relate to generosity? How does this relate to our financial resources? You shall not steal. So God gives us financial resources to steward, absolutely, to manage, to provide for those, for ourselves and for those in our care. We know there's wisdom from Proverbs that we are to be uh, uh, good and wise and leave an inheritance to our children's children. But also we're called to be a help, to be a blessing to others with our finances. So it's not enough for the people of God, um, even it's not enough for new covenant believers to simply not steal. That's not enough. We're called to be Christ-like, and that leads to being generous. So the other side of it, it's not enough just to say, well, I don't steal. I don't take things from others, so therefore people will, will see the glory of God in that. There is, the other side is that what we are called as new covenant believers to put on Christ. Yes, to put off wicked ways, but put on Christ-like ways, which lead to being generous. Romans 13, 14. Romans 13, 14 is one place where Paul addresses who we are as God's people in the new covenant, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So if we put on Christ by not stealing, even if our sinful nature, if we want to just take, take, take what's not ours, if we put on Christ, we will be generous. We will not only not steal, but we will be generous. So the eighth commandment is, is definitely a gift of common grace that has established, been a part of God establishing what we know to be Western civilization. 
like I live um, probably close to most of you in this community, and I don't really worry about all day long, maybe my, my non-Christian neighbors or non-Christians in the community stealing my stuff. Uh, I, I do have a dog and I have an alarm system. I may or may not have some firearms, but I'm not like losing sleep over like, I wonder who's going to be stealing my stuff. It is a gift that even, even non-believers, even people that don't claim Jesus, many of them, I would say millions and millions, obviously over the course of history, history have decided, you know what's good for me? To not steal stuff. So there's common grace there, but the call and command for God's people is to be committed to not stealing and to be generous in giving. What's going to set us apart? His call is to set us apart as his people, to be unique in a sense. So it's not just that, that they would look and say, this church, South City Church, are full of a bunch of people that don't steal. You know what? I think I want to find out about their team. Know that they would say, the people of South City Church are so generous. And we've experienced it. We don't hear about it from them directly, but we've experienced it and maybe heard rumors. This is the call. So you can say, like, I'm not taking things that belong to someone else by force. I'm not stealing. But if we acknowledge and understand that nothing belongs to us, including our money, it's all given by God to be managed, to be stewarded, to be used for his purposes. If we don't use our resources as God intends, we must repent of stealing. If we don't use God's resources that he's given us and giving us collectively as he intends, we are stealing. The bottom line is we must seek to discern how are we to use all his gifts, including our money? We're commanded to be generous because nothing belongs to us. We can't be, so what is the response? It's not always going to be, well, we're not going to read a verse that says, we'll give $830 a month to so-and-so nonprofit. We're not going to read that. So what's the call? How do we discern this? How do we not rob from God? We're just not, we're not going to be cavalier about it. We're not going to be thoughtless when it comes to how we're spending our money and how we're giving our money. It all belongs to him. And so he's given it to us for his purposes. And his purposes are a promise. They're a blessing to us. His purposes are the way we express that our hearts, our hearts belong to him. Our focus, and he is our God. He's the most significant thing. So we confirm our call through obedience to the commands of our God. And it results in a response to what he's done to save us through Jesus. It's all a response into what he's done to save us through Jesus, the most generous act in the history of the world. The commandments were not given, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, they're not given in any way to like earn our salvation. So some people view Christianity as, as God has these rules uh, and if I follow the rules, God will love me and save me. Some people view it like that. It's not what happened. It's not what happened in the story of the Exodus. The Israelites, they were an oppressed people. And God said, I, I hear your cry. I will save you because I love you. And when you are saved, free and forgiven, I'm going to give you a new way to live. That's what he did. 
So salvation isn't the reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. Jesus doesn't say, if you obey my commandments, I will love you. He first, he washes the disciples' feet. And then he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So all of our doing is only because of what he has first done for us. So don't get that twisted. We can't get that wrong. We can't think that generosity equates to anything of earning God's favor or earning salvation. That is not the gospel. So we have our call to faithfulness. We confirm our call with our response to being thoughtful and desiring to be discerning, having God's wisdom for how we are going to live out that call. We confirm that. And then lastly, we're going to see his people, they commit. There's going to be a commitment to generosity for us. And that results from just understanding like our hearts belong to God. So Exodus 35, if you flip over there, we're not going to look at much, but look at the people, the people that receive this word, they do have a response. So they're in Exodus 35, verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. And then down to verse 20, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution. It was their hearts. It was what they, their, their, their response to the command of the Lord, their response to, to what they see, saw as their command and how they were going to be obedient and faithful. And then verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. So constructing the tabernacle at the time, this beautiful structure where the presence of God would dwell with his people, it would not be done for free. God worked by moving his people, moving his people to give what they had for this work. So he works through Israel, not apart from Israel to do this. Notice that he works through his people to achieve this, 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 build this beautiful structure. He doesn't work apart from them to do this. So one commentator, he describes this event as Israel responded with lavish generosity, choosing to live on less in order to fund the worship ministry. That's what happened. The people, they were not commanded or encouraged to give anything they didn't have the people gave what they could. That's the, the uh, commitment to the call that was confirmed to the people. So we can't all, we can't all commit to give the same amount of money or time. There's not a one size fits all picture of faithfulness. There's not a one size fits all picture of obedience when it comes to the amount, the amount of money, the amount of time, whatever it is. But we must all give something. That is the picture of obedience and faithfulness. As we look and we discern and we're not cavalier and we give out of what God has given to us. So we 
commit to. Again, it's not the bare minimum. It's not like, well, what's the bare minimum? Can I just not steal? We must commit to give generously from the supply he has generously given us. He owns it all anyway. So we can't hold back on what we are to give. Generosity, it truly is. It is a heart issue. So remember Jesus, he sums up the Ten Commandments with two words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then love your neighbor as yourself. He sums it all up. It is a heart issue. So when does God get all of our heart? When does God call us? When does he call us to commit to him all of our heart? When does he do that? It's right now. (laughs) It is right now. It is not when the kids leave the house, there's going to be a little more disposable income. And I'm going to get thoughtful about mm, what what does generosity look like? It's not when, when, I can, when I can pay off these certain debts, when I can best invest in this, and then I'll, I'll even consider. I'll consider what generosity looks like. It's not when, when I enter that season of life, which is less busy than it is now. I'm going to be super generous, and I'm really going to start praying about, God, what do you want from me? I'll tell you right now, I think I'm older than some. I'll just say from experience. And hear this, take it with what you want it. You'll never be in a less busy season. It never gets less busy. I've been waiting for you. So right now, we have today, tomorrow's not guaranteed. We can't think that putting off total commitment now means we'll get another chance to commit ourselves to him in the future. Today's the day. So God will give all of us, God will have all of us He will have all of us right now, or he'll have none of us. There's no such thing as half-hearted commitment to the Lord, all or nothing. That's the commitment our Lord demands, because that's the commitment he gave to us. Why does God want my money, we may say? Why does God want my mind? God doesn't want or even need your money. What he wants is our heart. Unfortunately, the thing that most most, people often stands in the way of him having our hearts is our money. We can get distracted. We can get consumed by getting more and more money or needing more and more money. So often it stands in the way of him having our heart. That's why he addresses it. So coming back to who we are as God's chosen people, what the call to faithfulness looks like, what generosity looks like. First Peter, back to Peter's writing for the church. This timeless truth for us, he says, 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Do you recognize that language? Look back in Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So back in Exodus 19, 6, we saw the Lord calls Israel a kingdom And of priests and a holy nation, they're going to be set apart so the rest of the world uh, can reveal his presence, so the the rest of the world will be blessed by them. So when Peter, when he applies these terms to the church, when, when the terms are applied to us, he's explained that God's people, both Jews and non Jews, that we inherit the privileges of Israel. We're called to faithfulness so that. We're called to faithfulness. We're called to generosity so that others can know God. 
Did you catch it? So others may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Generosity, that natural, consistent, and occasionally spontaneous giving of our money, our time, our skill set to God's service in our community. We're generous because our great God has been generous to us. Our call to generosity, it's a call to respond to what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. The call to generosity is a call to respond to what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. As God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Is there, has there ever been, will there ever be a more generous act in all of history? I think that when we are with him in glory, when, we're in, when we get to experience the glorification of this all and we see him face to face, I still don't think we're going to experience the generosity like we get to experience upon salvation and upon our present reality of just knowing that God gave it all so that we could be with him, so that we could be redeemed, so we could be saved. I don't think we're going to experience and I don't think we can read about it. And it's all in the reading of it and seeing what he has done. We experience the greatest gift of generosity right now. And that's because of Christ. He didn't spare his own son. The co-eternal, co he doesn't need anything. They had everything in that triune fellowship. And Jesus Christ condescended and the father said, yes, go. Unbelievable act of generosity. So what's our response? I think the author of Hebrews gets it right when we look at, hey, since we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we get to look throughout all of church history to see the generosity and those that have responded to it. So then let us lay aside the sin that easily entangles us and then let us run with endurance the race marked out for us. So we're running right now. When is the time to be generous? Right now that we would be enduring and faithful every day at every season of our life. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, who was the author and the perfecter of our faith through his generosity, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is it. That's our hearts, that we look to Jesus and follow him. By generosity, I mean we should give sacrificially and consistently of our time, talent, and treasure in ways that will advance God's power. Generosity is for the Lord. Generosity is not so people will see us, exalt us, praise us, praise South City Church, praise whatever. It's so that they would praise Jesus. His priorities, advancing God's priorities. So the question can be, and we'll be unpacking it more, I think, in the next couple of weeks, how much should I give? The biblical answer is not a specific amount or even a percentage, as I've said before, but it is that you give sacrificially. Sacrificially, what does generosity feel like? It feels like sacrifice. Think of Jesus, the most generous act, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He knew it was by sacrifice that we would experience generosity. Sacrificially means that my giving cuts into my standard of living so that I feel it. There's a good barometer. 
There's a good measure. Cuts into my standard of living. So how do we get that? What does that look like? What is it? Well, listen to God's word. Speak to it. If any of you lacks wisdom, if we need to understand how do we navigate this in a way that's pleasing to God, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God wants to show us how to be generous in every way. We have to ask of him. Again, not being cavalier, not being thoughtless, not saying like, I'm going to get around to it, but going to the Lord and saying, please, Lord, reveal to me what generosity looks like right now. Characteristics as we wrap up, characteristics of a generous person. Scratching the surface, not passive and helping. Not passive and helping, not just responding as they maybe get calls, but they're looking, that we would look eagerly. How? How can I help? And then also I would say a characteristic of a generous person, you don't hear about their generosity, you experience it. It it can be anonymous at times. We should never be hearing from the person about how generous they are if you catch on. We should just experience it. In the same line, the focus is Jesus and his church. The focus of the generosity are his priorities. His own local church, that's God's priority. Spreading the gospel throughout the world, that's a gospel priority. And then helping the poor. Proverbs 14, blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Those are God's priorities. That is the characteristic of a generous person is they're focused on Jesus and his church and God's priorities. So maybe ending with these questions. Have you experienced? Have you experienced and are you experiencing the generosity of Jesus that he lavished on us in grace, mercy, love, joy, and freedom? Are you experiencing that abundantly? Have you ever experienced that? If not, I would love to talk with you today. Would those who know you best, would those who know you best, maybe those who live with you, maybe those who work with you, maybe those who have known you for years in friendship, would they describe you as generous? And maybe just considering, why? Why would they or why would they not? That's a question. So as we give, God will meet our needs. As believers, like Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary in the 19th century to China, many have experienced that God meets our needs. Hudson Taylor says this, let us give up our work, our thoughts, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all right into his hand. And then when we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about or to make trouble about. Pray with me. God, we know this world has trappings, for us that can cause us to focus on things that are not of you, on things that could entangle our hearts, on things that could slow us down or impede our faithfulness. So reveal those to us, Lord. I believe that each one of us in this room probably have that unique struggle on something that is warring in our souls to keep us from wholeheartedly committing to you. 
And Lord, we know we can't be marked by God-given and Christ-exalting generosity if we are not wholeheartedly committed to you. God, we need you to help us. Hear us. Don't give up on us. And lead us into greater and greater generosity so that many can experience the beauty of Christ and life with you. I pray that in Jesus' powerful and precious name. Amen.